Great Gildersleeve. Lux <laughs> presents Hollywood. Now cut that out! <laughs> Petri Wine brings you Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invites you to listen to Dr. Watson tell about an exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. And I've got something to talk about, too. Now that the poultry shortage is over and you can get chicken again, you ought to treat yourself to the best meal in the world. Fried chicken, southern style, accompanied by a chill glass of Petri California Sauterne. Me, oh my, is that something. You know, Petri Sauterne is a wonderful mealtime wine. It's a white wine, the color of pale, pale gold. And Petri Sauterne is delicate in flavor, sort of subtle and kind of intriguing. Well, just wait till you taste it. You'll really love it with that fried chicken. Oh, and I'll tell you something else. It's wonderful with fish. If you haven't tried fish or any kind of seafood, together with Petri Sauterne, well, I hate to say this, but... You don't know, folks. You just don't know. So how about finding out? Just pick up a bottle of Petri Sauterne on your way home tomorrow. It's a Petri wine, so you know it's good. And now let's see if our old friend Dr. Watson's expecting. Hmm. He's out on the patio. Dr. Watson? out here this evening, my boy. Oh, swell idea, Doctor. It certainly is a beautiful night. It certainly is. Do I put you and make yourself comfortable. That's it. Do you, uh, you care for some of my tobacco? <laughs> I think I'll stick to a cigarette, thanks. Well, Doctor, all ready for tonight's adventure? Yes, Mr. Bartell, I'm all ready. And a strange story it was. A very strange story. How did it begin? Stormy December night in 1900 with the rain pelting against the Baker Street windows... Or perhaps with you and the great Sherlock Holmes rattling along in a cab beside the foggy waterfront chasing some desperate criminal. <laughs> you make quite a good story to tell yourself, Mr. Bartell. No, no, no. The adventure I'm going to tell you took place many, many thousands of miles afield from our Baker Street headquarters. To be exact, in the Indian city of Parbukipur, about 200 miles north of Calcutta. It must have been a mighty important case that made you both travel that far. It certainly was, my boy, Yes. It was announced in the, in the summer of uh, 1894, I remember, that Holmes received an urgent summons from the Maharaja of Parbutipur. After five weeks at sea, we reached Calcutta. And a few days later, found ourselves on the veranda of our hotel in Parbutipur. As we sat there talking to the Maharaja's brother, Robert Singh, we could hear the faint throb of native drums and the haunting wail of an Indian lute coming from the bazaar. 
And so, gentlemen, I thought that before I took you over to my brother's palace, I would tell you something of the problems that beset him. An excellent idea, Mr. Singh. Uh, yes, indeed, sir, particularly as you've just told us that your brother, the Maharaja, is not in the best of health. Uh, just so, Dr. Watson. Interviews tie him, and in any case, his command of the English language is not so extensive as mine. And now, sir, the problem, if you please. As to the exact problem, Mr. Holmes, I am not completely informed. My dear brother has not seen fit to confide his entire troubles even to me. In fact, until your arrival yesterday, I did not even know that you had been sent for. But I can tell you that his worries are centered on the safety of the white elephant of Parbutipur. White elephant? Well, possibly you are not aware that white elephants actually do exist. Oh, yes, though I understand that they're extremely rare. Oh, extremely, Mr. Am I right in thinking that in the East a white elephant is considered sacred? Quite right. Pray continue, sir. Well, in 1750, the first white elephant was presented to my great-great-grandfather, and with it came a legend. The legend that the Maharaja's rule would be happy, healthy, and successful only as long as the elephant flourished. If the animal were to die, then the reign would come to an end, and the Maharaja was doomed to a sudden death. Mr. Singh, who was responsible for the origin of this legend? Oh, a good and wise man who traveled from the mountains beyond Nepal. He it was who brought the first elephant to my great-great-grandfather. And how has the legend worked out in actual practice, sir? Its prophecies have come frighteningly true, Dr. Watson. Oh? The first elephant was killed by his mahout, his own keeper, after my illustrious ancestor had dismissed the man for incompetence. A week later, my great-great-grandfather was himself killed in a native uprising. And so it has gone on, gentlemen, since then. Amazing, amazing. When the elephants have died, and they have always died, the Maharaja of Vaputipur has died a violent death soon after. And as each new Maharaja has succeeded to the title, the wise man from the beyond the mountains has appeared, and with him, a new sacred white elephant. He last appeared four years ago when my brother inherited the title. Oh, but it can't still be the same man, oh, sir. Why not, Doctor? Well, <laughs> I mean to say, that'd make him a couple of hundred years old. Mm, a trifle less, I fancy, Doctor. <laughs> really, my dear sir, it seems to me your story is the wrong way round. Men don't live to such an age, whereas elephants are noted for their length of life. Well, that's true, Watson, but apparently not the sacred white ones of Parbitipur. Uh, Mr. Singh, uh, in the event that uh, your brother's death, who would become the Maharaja? <laughs> I should, Mr. Holmes. Oh, I can see what you are thinking, sir. The next in line to succeed to the title would have an excellent motive for wishing the animal dead. <laughs> the logic is inescapable. The thought had no personal implications, I assure you. Well, I'm very anxious to see this fabulous animal. The sacred white elephant is never seen except at the yearly festival that celebrates another anniversary of the Maharaja's rule. So the animal is only seen once a year, eh? Yes, Mr. Holmes. And when is the next anniversary, may I ask? In two weeks' time. Oh, our arrival seems to have coincided very nicely with the ceremony. Yes, Watson, a fact that I'm sure is not coincidental. Well, Mr. Singh, I'm very glad that you told us the legend of the sacred white elephant, and now I suggest that you take us to the palace. I'm most anxious to make the Maharaja's acquaintance. This is the council chamber, gentlemen. If you will wait here a moment, I will go and see if my brother is well enough to receive you. Very well, sir. 
Upon my soul, Holmes, I'm not easily impressed, but this palace is absolutely staggering in its magnificence. Yes, it does rather take one's breath huh? away, doesn't it? It does. This floor is of the finest marble, and unless I'm much mistaken, that magnificent rug is a genuine Bacara. Yes, by Jove, it is. I can swear that the staircase we mounted a moment ago had railings of solid gold. You did, old chap. It did? It is a country of solid paradoxes. Where opulence beyond the dreams of Midas rubs shoulders with the direst poverty. And yet, looking at a palace like this, it's not hard to see why India is called the brightest jewel in the diadem of the British Empire. Good Lord, what, what's that? That is an elephant trumpeting. Oh, yes, yes of course. Uh, do you suppose it's the sacred white one? Undoubtedly. You will recall the Maharaja's brother told us it's the only one at the palace. It's an odd sound. Yeah, it's a very comforting one. The animal seems to be in the best of health. Who waits in the Maharaja's council Good room? Me. You gave me a start. I didn't hear you come in. And my friend and I are waiting for an audience with His Highness. No one can hold audience with the Maharaja. Please to leave. Now look here, my good fellow. What's please? please to leave. Uh, What's what? We've traveled 12,000 miles to see the Maharaja, sir, at his request. In any case, his brother is with him now, arranging an audience. I am Mada, the Maharaja's physician and chief counselor. And I tell you, you cannot hold audience today. And I tell you that I haven't the slightest intention of leaving the palace without seeing him. You defy authority of Mada? Saila! Azur? Now, I warn you that if I have any... Oh, I'm glad you're back, Mr. Singh. This fellow told us that we couldn't see your brother. And furthermore, he seems to labor under the misapprehension that he can have us thrown bodily out of the palace. Mother, you do not understand. These are the gentlemen my brother wishes to see. From England, he has sent for them. It was against my counsel they were summoned. No good will come of this. Follow me, gentlemen. My brother, the Maharaja, will see you now. But... Please do not stay with him too long. He is far from well. Mr. Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Watson, I'm so happy you have arrived here safely. It was great imposition to ask you to travel so far. Oh, not at all, sir. I only hope we can prove of material assistance to you. Ranji. Yes, Robert? I wish you would permit Dr. Watson to examine you. No, just was I about to suggest myself, sir. In fact, I, I brought my medical bag along just in case. Mada would not approve. Mada not believe in occidental medicine. I do not trust Mada. I do not think he wishes you to get well. Please, Ranji, let the doctor examine you. Very well. But you not tell now, Mada. And now, um, what seems to be the, the trouble, Your Highness? Uh, my, my eyes, they torture me. Night and day, they torture me. Yes, I notice they seem very inflamed. Now, let me take a look at them. Oh, mm, yes, oh. yes, yes, yes. Now, uh, open oh. them a little wider, please, sir. Uh, uh, I throb, burn, night and day, night. They burn. Mm, the color is distinctly reddened. However, this isn't anything very, very serious, sir. What you're suffering from is a case of what we call conjunctivitis. What you do relieve pain, doctor? Well, some eye drops will give you relief in no time, sir. I have some here in, in, in my bag. Oh, thank you. Thank you. 
Perhaps medicine will help. Yes, yes, I'm sure it will, sir. Here you are, now. this small bottle and an eyedropper. Uh, this is, is an eyedropper. Uh, just put a few drops in the corner of each eye, and I'm sure that you'll, you'll get some relief in no time at all. Thank you, Dr. Watson. You think there is nothing seriously wrong, Doctor? Mother gave it as his opinion that my brother's eyesight was in serious danger. Well, upon my saying so, I think it more likely that my medical knowledge e exceeds his. I can assure you there's nothing seriously the matter with your brother's eyes, Doctor. I'm happy you say so. <clears throat> now you will please excuse me while I take medication and rest a little. We discuss my problems later. Quarters already prepared for you in Palace. You do not mind, Mr. Holmes? Not at all, sir. Though in the interim, I should like to employ my time to the pool by inspecting your sacred white elephant. No. No, that I cannot allow. I must talk to you first. I think, sir, you will do well to give me permission to see the animal. I already have my suspicions as to your reason for bringing me here, and it will be best if I'm completely informed when we have our discussion. Very well. Can do no harm. Here. Take ring. Show ring to Sucro. He's keeper of animal. Sucro will let you into elephant house when he sees ring. Thank you, sir. And please rest comfortably. I'm sure that your worries are nearly at an end. Come on, Watson. <laughs> this was the elephant house. Why in thunder doesn't the keeper open the door? I imagine because his mind is preoccupied with music. Knock again, old fellow, will you? Uh-huh. He heard us that time. Yeah, about time. He must have been knocking here for five or six minutes. Alarm, sir. Here, motive. Other hati Tum dekni ne sekta. Sekta. Maharaja side. Kumko asti mafik dio. Say, Holmes, the Maharaja's ring certainly seemed to do the trick. He didn't want to let us in until you showed it to him, oh, did he? Good and faithful <laughs> servant, our friend Sukro. Uh, what's happened, Holmes? A white elephant has disappeared, Watson. Disappeared? That's ridiculous. Elephants don't just disappear. Maharaja Sad Kibolo. Kali Umkobolo. Where's he going? I told him to go to the Maharaja and give him the news. But he was to tell it to no one else. But Holmes, this is ridiculous. We heard the animal trumpeting here less than half an hour ago. How can an elephant be spirited away in that amount of time? That's what we have to find out, my dear fellow. I've often heard of the Indian rope trick. Now we have a first-hand opportunity of solving a new mystery. The problem of the disappearing elephant. <laughs> And half an hour searching this elephant house. After all, an elephant isn't exactly insignificant. I doubt if you're going to find it under those boards in the corner over there. True, Watson, but nonetheless, there are interesting clues to be observed. Clues? What clues? Come over here, old chap. Bloodstains? Great Scott, you're not suggesting that's elephant's blood? 
It's hard to say, though I would venture the opinion that it would require the blood of several human corpses to produce an equivalent amount of blood. In any case, you will notice that the stains are dried and old. Hello, that must be the elephant keeper back from the palace. Dr. Watson, his mother, the Maharaja's physician. Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson, at once you must come back to the palace. What's wrong, sir? It is the Maharaja. Death has come to him. Dead? Great heavens. Exactly what happened? Sukro, keeper of the elephant, came to the Maharaja. He said he had the most important message to deliver. He had. I told him to deliver it. Then what happened? A few moments later, I heard cries. I went to the Maharaja's room and found him in delirium. He was saying about the elephant having disappeared. His brother and I tried to give comfort to him, but we could do nothing. His breathing became more and more labored. Finally, it stopped altogether. So the tomb of Parvati Poor is fulfilled once again. The elephant is gone and the Maharaja's reign is ended. Come on. We must go to the palace. Yes, I must examine the body at once. You're certain it was a natural death, Mr. Mutter? Positive, Mr. No Holmes. symptoms of poisoning, for example? Mr. Holmes, I have read some of your sensational stories in which obscure deaths are attributed to a, to a subtle oriental poison unknown to Western science. I can assure you that if the Maharaja has been poisoned, it has been caused by no poison known to me. When did he last eat? Over uh, eight hours ago. Well, possibly died of shock, Holmes. Shock and hysteria. When he knew that the elephant had vanished. Yes, it's possible, but it's murder just the same. Murder? Why do you say that, Mr. Holmes? Because whoever caused the elephant to disappear did it with the deliberate intention of ending the Maharaja's reign. A diabolical plot, and one that I intend to overcome before this day is out. Dr. Watson's story will continue in just a second, so all I'm going to say is... If you like a swell red wine with your dinner, well, then you should know about Petri California Burgundy. Petri Burgundy is a rich, hearty red wine that's just wonderful with hamburger and beef stew and pot roast and chops and, oh, just about any meat or meat dish you can think of. And, of course, if you can get hold of a steak or a prime rib, well, then you've just got to serve that with Petri Burgundy. Petri Burgundy is a swell mealtime wine. The best friend a good meal ever had. No kidding. And now back to tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure, The Case of the Vanishing Elephant. Tell me, Doctor, did you examine the Maharaja's body? Yes, of course I did, Mr. Bartell. Holmes was convinced that the Maharaja had been murdered, but I could find no trace of foul play. After my examination, I joined Holmes in our quarters, where I gave him my plea. Found that ending? Mm, looks like natural death to me, Holmes. No traces of poison? None that I could see. Of course, it's hard to be certain without an autopsy. Did you suggest one? Yes, but the new Maharaja won't hear of it. It's against their religion, apparently. Yes, I was afraid of that. Meantime, I've been conducting a cross-examination of some of the palace servants. Oh? What do you find out? Principally that all of them heard the elephant trumpeting this morning. Did any of them suggest how the animal might have been smuggled out to the palace ground? They insisted that such a feat would be impossible without their knowledge. Well, what's our next move, Holmes? To interrogate the one person who I'm sure can give us the true story of the elephant's disappearance, its keeper. Remember, we haven't seen him since he took the message to the palace. I suggest we return to the elephant house and have a, a persuasive talk with him. Mm, this must be the house, the only one that's near the elephant pen. 
Ramshackle-looking place, isn't it? Extremely. Sucro! Sucro! Don't tell me that he's vanished, too. <laughs> this is beginning to get on my nerves. Sucro! I think under the circumstances, we'll take the liberty of entering. Sucro! Look, Holmes. Look on the floor. We're too late. Good Lord. What a horrible sight. His throat's been cut. Obviously, another murder. He knew the secret of the vanishing elephant. Let's have a look around. Uh-huh. Sucro was quite a, quite a musician. Look at this weird assortment of instruments. Native lute. Well, we heard him playing that today as we approached the elephant house. What's this? Looks like a sort of giant megaphone. It's a musical instrument of some kind. Observe the mouthpiece here. Let's see what kind of noise it makes. Touch. The instrument sounds exactly like, like an elephant trumpeting. Of course. Come, Scar, why didn't I think of this before? Come on, Watson, back to the palace as fast as your legs can carry you. The mystery is solved. You have solved the problem of the missing elephant, Mr. Yes, Holmes. And also the cause of your brother's death and Sucro's murder. Indeed. That is very important news. Uh, won't you both sit down, please? Uh, please proceed, Mr. Holmes. Thank you. At first, the elephant did not vanish today. The beast must have died a natural death months ago. All that happened today was that I discovered its absence. Are you suggesting that my brother knew the beast was dead? I am, sir. But he was afraid to publish the news. He knew that his rule would fall into a state of chaos if the fact were known. You yourself, sir, have told us how strong is the native belief in this legend. So how did he dispose of the elephant? Unobtrusively over a period of time. The bloodstains in the elephant house would indicate that the animal had been cut up into disposable fragments, which could be removed by the faithful sucro without attracting suspicion. All this time, though, the elephant horn was blown at suitable intervals to indicate that the sacred animal was still alive. But if the Maharaja knew the beast was dead, why did he die of shock when he received the news? I think the answer to that question, Dr. Watson, would be that my brother died of shame when he knew that his imposture had been discovered. Oh, oh, oh. A little far-fetched, sir, if you don't mind my saying so. Now, I'm certain the reason your brother brought me to your country was to reveal that imposture to me. He knew the day was coming soon when he must show the elephant to his people. The festival would have been held in two weeks' time, I think you told us, sir. I imagine that he wanted me to devise a method of smuggling a new white elephant into the palace grounds before that time. Tell me, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, why did my brother die today? Because he was murdered. Just as Sucro was murdered later. Murdered? How, Holmes? Oh, very ingeniously. Uh, by poison, but not, as you might expect, by any subtle eastern poison. No, one of the uh, most recent of western poisons was used. A poison unknown to oriental science. Delirium, followed by a strangulated breathing, is highly typical of the newly discovered poison, hyoscyamine. But he hadn't eaten for eight hours. To Watson, but you see this, um, hyoscyamine was administered to, uh, an eyedropper? Good heavens, an eyedropper. What? The poison penetrates with unusual ease through the membranes of the eyes, if you will recall. Yes, you're right, but Joey does. 
Must have been that physician fellow, Marmado, whatever his name is. No, my dear chap. Uh, this has been a case of confusions. Let's do a little clear thinking now, shall we? You see, uh, we were deceived by the apparent sequence of events. We discovered the elephant missing and thought that fact had caused the Maharaja's death. Well, as his murder was quite a separate matter. The poison must have been placed in the eye drops while we were in the elephant house. Precisely, dear chap. And uh, when the murderer saw how the problem of the missing elephant confused us, he killed its unfortunate keeper to prevent us from learning the truth. Yes, you're strangely silent, Mr. Singh. Am I, Mr. Holmes? I am fascinated by your flow of unassailable logic. Of course, uh, you realize that I am now the Maharaja, the King of Kings, an absolute ruler with all power, including that of the police. Do you, uh, do you care to denounce the murderer to me? Oh. Come, come, sir. I think it's time the buttons came off our foils. I'm well aware that you studied medicine at the University of Edinburgh. You the motive, the opportunity, and the knowledge to kill your brother. The murder of Sucro was probably performed by an underling. Great Scott, what a shocking You are disgrace. a clever man, Mr. Holmes. A very clever man. Clever enough to realize that an absolute ruler, a ruler with all powers, including that of the police, is not apt to denounce himself. Again, your logic is unassailable. Goodbye, gentlemen. I trust your voyage home will be a pleasant one. I warn you, sir, that I shall make a full report of my findings in this case to the British Commissioner of the state. Why should he prove more effectual than the great Sherlock Holmes? Goodbye, gentlemen, and above voyage. Filthy murderer. Makes my blood boil to think that he can't be brought to justice. But he can, and he will be. The civilized laws of the Occident cannot be enforced here. Then we must fight him with his own weapons. What do you mean, Holmes? We have a farewell talk with Mr. Mader, the dead Maharaja's physician, friend, and counselor. But this is a terrible story you have told me, Mr. Holmes. My beloved ruler murdered by his own brother, and yet... He cannot be made to account for his crimes. He can be, sir, if you will help Mr. Holmes. Of course I will. What can I do? Try and obtain the eye drops before they're destroyed, will you? Have them analyzed by a Western scientist and forward the reports to me in London. I'll take the necessary action. I will try to do that, Mr. Holmes. But if I fail, there is one other way I can avenge my master's death. In a few weeks, a new Maharaja will be enthroned. Ah. I understand you, sir. The wise man from beyond the mountains of Nepal will bring a new white elephant. Perhaps an elephant that will not live very long. You understand me perfectly, Mr. Holmes. I can promise you that the elephant will die in a very short time. And with it, the new Maharaja, my master, shall be avenged. That was quite a story, Doctor. Quite a story. And tell me, what did happen to the next white elephant of Harvard well, by an extraordinary coincidence, it died the day after the new Maharaja's enthronement. And that scoundrel was himself killed an uprising that occurred just a few days later.
You know something? I think I could be very happy as an Indian Maharaja. Mm -hmm. Beautiful palace, yeah. beautiful women, beautiful jewels. <laughs> and every year on my birthday, the natives would give me my weight in gold. Uh, you know, I could learn to like that. That is, if I tried. Yes, and every week you'd speak to your subjects over the radio and tell them all about Petri wine. Oh, now, now, wait a minute, Doctor. I don't always talk about Petri wine. <laughs> That's right. You, you don't always talk about Petri wine. You, you've got to sleep sometime. <laughs> all right, go on. Kid me about it. But Petri wine is worth talking about. After all, what other wine has the tradition behind it that Petri wine has? Don't forget the Petri family has been making Petri wine for generations. Since way back before there were electric lights and telephones and things like that. They've been making Petri wine since the 1800s and handing down from father to son, from father to son, every bit of valuable knowledge and experience. There's no doubt about it. The Petri family really knows how to turn luscious grapes into wonderful wine. That's why you can't go wrong with a Petri wine. Petri took time to bring you good wine. Well, Doctor, how's about giving us a clue to next week's story? Well, now, next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you an adventure in which uh, I'm afraid I... <laughs> well, I didn't exactly cover myself with glory, shall we say. But I think you'll find the story an exciting one, my boy, because it's composed of equal parts of romance, of international intrigue, and of sudden death. <laughs> Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and is based on an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Engineer's Thumb. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petri family. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Out of the past, phantoms of a world gone by speak again the immortal tale, Dr. Manette's Manuscript. Gentlemen of the jury, I have in my hand a manuscript that Dr. Alex Manette unearthed on the night of February 12th, 1751. A manuscript that will provide conclusive proof of the guilt of Charles St. Evermond, accusing him of fraud, murder, and conspiracy. A chain of fantastic events lead to Dr. Manette's finding of the manuscript, and I should like to describe these events to you now. I, Philippe Gentil, was with Alex Manette earlier in the evening. I had dropped by his home in hopes of persuading him to join me at a large soiree which was being given that night by one of the most distinguished barons in all Paris. The baron's name is unimportant. Dr. Manette and I were standing at the doorway of his home. It was exactly 6.45. That I remember because the grandfather's clock in the living room was just beginning to chime. I'm sorry, Philippe. I simply can't come to the ball this evening. I promised several of my patients that I'd drop by and see them. She's going to be there. 
She? Who? Who, who, who? The woman I was telling you about. Countess Clarissa Santerimond. Ah, your countess with the mysterious husband. <laughs> She's half what you say she is, Philip Genty. It'd be just as well if I don't meet her. Nothing can persuade you? Nothing. Now come along. I'll walk you outside at any rate. And if you change your mind, come to 12 Rue Saint-Honoré. If I change my mind. Uh, give your countess my greetings. That is, if her husband isn't around. Now don't worry about him. Charles Saint-Evermond is never around. Too busy on his estates in Normandy. Now, goodbye, Philippe. Goodbye, Alec. And don't forget, 12 Rue Saint-Honoré. You will make it. I won't forget, but I can't make it. Well, it must be close to 7 o'clock. Better hurry, I'll never finish my calls tonight. <laughs> Party, indeed. I have no time for parties. Oh, Dr. Manette. Yes? Who is it? Over here, please, in the carriage. Oh, well, what do you want? I'd like to see you for a moment. You are Dr. Manette, aren't you? Yes, I am, but I don't believe I have the privilege of knowing you. I have a patient that needs your aid very badly. Won't you please accompany us? But who are you? That is unimportant as far as you're concerned, monsieur. Robert. Yes, brother? Uh, perhaps your pistol can persuade the doctor to join us? Well, I don't need to be persuaded by force to help save human life. This is not force, Dr. Manette. Now, if you don't mind, we have a great deal to do this evening. We insist that you enter the carriage. Right in here, sir. A middle seat will do. Very well. We can handle this all very agreeably, Doctor, if you will be reasonable. You'll be well paid for your work. I'm sure of it. Are you ready, brother? Quite ready, Robert. All right, brother. I hate to inconvenience you, Dr. Manette. Believe me. But I'm forced to tie this handkerchief around your eyes. I prefer that you do not know where we're taking you, for reasons which are purely personal. I, uh hope you don't mind? No, no, no. Go right ahead. Nothing I can do about it, is there? No. Not very much, Dr. Manette. Just sit quietly and the work will soon be over. Well, Doctor, this is your destination. I'll remove the blindfold from your eyes now. What was that scream I just heard? your patient, Dr. Manette. We'll take you right upstairs to her now. If you will follow me, Doctor, up this staircase. Must be old place, isn't it? Yes, quite old. You lived here long? Does it matter? Sorry, my mistake. Girl, uh, has she been that way for long? Two days now, Doctor. Her screams are as regular as the swing of a pendulum. And we can't quiet her. That is why you're here. These screams are nerve-wracking to myself and to my brother, Robert. Oh, it's, uh, this door here. Go right in, Doctor. My husband, my father, my brother. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve... Pay no attention to her chatter, Doctor. Why are you bound her to the bed? To keep her from going mad. You think that's protection from insanity? This girl is already in the last stages of brain fever. You don't mind if I untie her, do you? Mind? Why should I? Here's all the medicine you might need. Thank you. <laughs> 
my husband, my father, my brother. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Hush. Quiet, my dear. I'll just undo these ties. Most we can hope for is to administer a sedative and keep her quiet. Is uh, this fresh water in the container? Quite fresh, Doctor. Quite a medical collection here. Yes, we have quite. (laughs) My husband, my father, my brother. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Hush. What does this cry of hers mean? How should I know? Nothing at all. Well, Doctor, what do you think? I think the girl has been purposely driven mad, gentlemen. That she is dying. If that is your opinion, Dr. Manette, it is best you keep it to yourself. Here you are, my dear. Drink this. No! There, there, no. there, now. Open your mouth. What would you suggest we do with her, Dr. Manette? I can't suggest anything. It's too late. My hmm. husband, my father, my brother. One, two, three, Quiet. four. Quiet, my dear. Quiet. Nobody must find him. Nobody. He's safe. Safe from you, you beast, beast. Now, now, you're quite safe, my dear. Quite safe. I'm the doctor. Doctor? Doctor? Doctor, don't forget the numbers. The graves. The graves. The graveyard. What did she say to you, doctor? She spoke too softly. I couldn't understand it. Well, gentlemen, you waited too long. The young lady is dead. Huh. How unfortunate. Oh, Manette, you remember the doctor's code, do you not? What exactly are you referring to? The sanctity of the deathbed confession. Silence in which it must be held. If you repeat anything you've seen here this evening, we will take legal recourse to prove that you were responsible for the death of this girl. You're not threatening me, are you? Yes. Yes, as a matter of fact, I am. Now, Doctor, if you're ready, my brother will blindfold you and return you to the place we originally found you. And, uh, before you leave, Doctor... Yes? I promised you you'd be well paid. In this little bag of 100 gold pieces. Thank you. But I only did what was humanly possible. Uh, Robert, see that the Doctor Manette is returned home safely. Driver, hold the carriage. This is where we found you, Dr. Minette. I hope if we should ever meet again, it'll be in happier circumstances. Yes, I... I hope so. Good night, Doctor. Oh, uh, tell me one thing before you leave. Yes. How did you, uh, know about me? We've heard a great deal about you, Dr. Minette, indirectly through a friend of yours. His name, I believe, is Philippe Jonty. Good night, Doctor. Philip Gentil. I wonder. What was that address he gave me? 12 Rue Saint-Honoré. I'd better walk over there. I wonder... My father, my brother, my husband, the 12 numbers. Hush. Hmm. Dr. Manette walked quickly to number 12, Rue Saint-Honoré. 
When he arrived, the Baron's house was already crowded with merrymakers. I was seated in the corner with the Countess when Alex rushed in. I introduced him to Clarissa, and he told us the exact story which I have just recounted. I noticed that Clarissa appeared to be pale. Then she said... I beg of you, Dr. Manette, please forget all about this evening. Forget that you were ever here. Forget that you ever saw this man. Do you know who he is? Please, I'm feeling very faint. I'd like to go outside for some fresh air. Certainly, Clarissa. Do you mind if I join you? Oh, not at all. We'll leave through the side doors. Philippe, is anybody watching us? Not that I notice, my dear. Follow me, gentlemen. Out this way and shut the doors behind us. Now, let me warn you, Dr. Manette. Your life is in great danger. Then you know the gentlemen that I'm talking about. Yes, I know them. My husband and his brother, Robert. You see, Philippe has told me about you, Doctor. And yesterday, because I was feeling ill, I asked my husband to send for you. But he's a fiend, that one. Your husband? But what is he up to? Revenge. On whom? On me. He's always trying to trap me. Charles knows I have I've nothing but, but loathing for him. And in that twisted mind of his, he's... He suspects my love for Philippe. So that's why his brother Robert mentioned Philippe's name to me. Yes. And when he threatened to accuse you of murder, it was no idle threat. He said you followed here. He means to trap us all. But, Countess, I can prove my innocence. You think so, Dr. Minette. But you don't know his power. If he finds out about us, Clarissa... Philippe, it's no use, my dear. He came to Paris to take me back with him tomorrow. I was going to tell you our little dream was over tonight. Only I wanted it to be gay and exciting and... And say goodbye as if... as if I were leaving on an adventure. My dear Countess, uh, what do you know about the twelve numbers? Twelve numbers? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Have you any idea who the girl was? None. Unless she's a daughter of one of the peasants on the land. It's not unusual for Charles or that pig of a brother of his to amuse themselves at the expense of such unfortunates. Oh, I warn you, Dr. Mitt... If you've any respect for your life, go. Go as far from here as you possibly can. And leave you to the mercy of your husband and half of Normandy to that kind of tyranny? No, I don't think so. Alex is quite right, Clarissa. This is no time to run from anything. Our first job is to get you to safety. And the next is... To find out what the 12 numbers mean. But you don't understand. Charles planned all this to happen exactly the way it has. He knew Dr. Manette would join us at the party. And he also knows that we'll try to escape. And nothing would please him more than to catch me this way. If he does catch you, Clarissa, send for one of the maids in this house. And I think for a few francs, she might lend you some clothes. But, Philippe, you're both risking your lives. Don't you understand? Well, since they are our lives, Countess, we'll worry about them. Now, do what Philippe says, and let's hurry. Yes. Go into the house by yourself, Clarissa. Upstairs to the dressing room and wait. I'll go in the back way and send one of the maids up to you. Alex, you wait here for me. Don't take any chances, any of you. I'll see you later, Philippe, darling. Later. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Hush. Oh, I, I don't get it. My father, my brother, my husband. Are you Dr. Alex Manette? Huh? I. Yes, I am. I am Inspector Delray from the Paris Police. In the name of the king, I arrest you for the murder of Lily Deschamps.
Well, gentlemen, while Alex was waiting for us in the garden, the inspector of the Paris police arrested him for the murder of a girl he didn't even know. Dumbfounded at first, Alex just stared at Inspector Deveray. I'm arrested? Hmm, so soon. Uh, who pressed these charges? Count Charles and Devremont. Ah, and the girl I supposedly killed is... Uh, what is her name again? Lily Deschamps. Lily Deschamps, so that's her name. Come along. Come along, sir. My coat is inside. If you'll give me permission, I'll just get my coat and hat. And join you down here in a few minutes? I wouldn't try to escape, sir. The house is surrounded. You have my word, monsieur. I shall be back. in Evermont. Countess. Dr. Manette, come in here. I thought you were to wait downstairs. Oh, great heavens. I, I would never have recognized you, Countess. It's the maid's costume. How do I look in peasant dress? Charming, madame, but where is Philippe? Waiting in the garden. Uh, I thought he was with you. I've just been arrested. <sighs> now, I've only a short time, so listen to me carefully. I must escape, and I have only one chance. You and Philippe must have to work fast to help me. Of course, Doctor, anything. Now, I'll manage to delay the inspector for 15 minutes. In that time, you and Philippe must arrange to follow the inspector's carriage in your own cab. Now, to get to the jail from here, they must travel down the Riblois to a quiet part of the quay near the Seine. I'll be riding with the inspector, a prisoner, in his cab. Do you understand? Yes, yes, so far I do, Doctor. Now, listen carefully. There's a warehouse at the corner where you turn down the quay. Now, you and Philippe instruct your driver to go full speed the other way around it and meet us. Have Philippe bring money and two pistols. I'll be ready. You can count on us, Doctor. We shan't fear you. This must be the spot. Look, Carissa. There's his carriage right ahead, turning toward the quay. Philip, are you sure this is the place? Positive, darling. There's the warehouse Alex told us about. The coachman. Yes. Turn to the left here. Uh, oui, monsieur. The inspector's cab will come down the left side of the street. When we start galloping, Clarissa, open the door and hop out quickly and head for the warehouse in the corner. Wait in the doorway for us if there's any trouble. Yes, Philippe. Yes, darling. Coachman. Yes? As soon as you turn the corner to the key, put your horses into full gallop. You'll see another carriage heading toward us. Oui, monsieur. Head for it. Run straight into it. But my cab, sir. You are 4,000 francs, driver. That'll take care of the cab and any damage that could possibly occur. Oui, oui, monsieur. Look, Philippe, there's the inspector's cab at the other end of the block. All right, driver, full gallop. That's the other cab. Head into him. Oui, monsieur. Here we go, Philippe. Be ready to jump, Clarissa, the minute we strike. Watch out, Philippe. Hold on, darling. Look, there's Alex in the other cab. He's got his hand on the door. He's ready. Here we go for the crash. Open the door, Clarissa. Jump. Get those horses of yours untangled, Philip. Why, we could all have been killed. This is the Prefix special cat. Idiot. This fool's. I'm following you, darling. Where's Alex? He's out of Devere's cab and running down the street. He meet us at the corner. Hurry, darling, hurry. Oh. This way, Clarissa. Down here. I'm so worn out. Hurry, darling, hurry. Around this corner. Before they notice Alex is gone. Oh, here. In here, both of you, quickly. Uh, Alex, you all right? I'm a bit shaken, but I'll be all right. Now, this is the old warehouse I was telling you about. I hope the door is open. There it is. Quickly, follow me in here. 
Now, we'd be quite safe here until they give up the hunt. It's so dark in here, Doctor. All the better. Now, we'll have to wait in here for a few hours. Then we get a cab out of town. Where can we go, Doctor? To the country, to your husband's estate. There, I think, we shall find out what the 12 numbers mean. And then I'll have the answer to this whole mystery. Well, make yourselves comfortable. We have a long wait. For a long while, Clarissa, Alex, and myself sat huddled in the corner of the warehouse waiting. Alex stood near the door, one eye to the keyhole watching. Finally, as morning came, he beckoned to us. Cautiously, the three of us emerged into the deserted early morning streets. We walked several blocks without encountering a soul. Unfortunately, not even a cab was in sight. We were about to give up hope when Alex saw a cab rolling down the streets. He hailed it. And we got in. Alex took complete charge of the proceedings. Driver, take the river road out of town to the St. Everman Estates in Normandy. I'm sorry, monsieur, but I can't leave Paris in my cab. The revolver in your back may change your mind. Go on, and quickly. Oui, monsieur. Clarissa, uh, Philippe, sit on the floor of the carriage. Come along, Clarissa. And cover yourselves with this robe. Driver, if you stop to signal anybody, even for a second, you'll be killed. Oui, monsieur. I understand. I'm glad you do. And hurry, it's a two-hour journey. Countess, uh, do you know anyone uh, by the name of Deshaun? Lily Deshaun? Yes, yes, I do. She's a peasant girl who works in the San Evermont land in Normandy. She lives with her father, her husband, and her brother. My father, my husband, my brother. One, two, three. Hmm. At least she did live with them. Charles told me yesterday that her father and her husband both died. Probably from overwork. Charles always hated that family. More than any of the others and worked them twice as hard. Often he'd hitch them to a wagon and force them to do the work of cattle. The right of a landowner. Some of our French laws are a combination of cruelty and stupidity. But uh, what about her brother? I don't know, really. Well, Lily Deschamps is the girl I'm accused of murdering. I don't know why, but that's what we're going to find out as soon as we get there. But how, Alex? Just before the girl died, she mentioned something about a graveyard. Just whispered it. A graveyard. Hmm. If I can only find out what the numbers mean. Right ahead of us at the turn of the road is the graveyard. I think we'd better stop the carriage here before somebody sees us. Yes, quite right, Countess. Uh, draw up here, driver. Oui, monsieur. Let me help you out of the carriage. <laughs> Thank you, darling. Oh, Philippe, I'm so frightened. Frightened for all of us. Now, darling, don't be. Pray for the best. You lead the way, Countess. Driver, you walk between my friend and me. Oui, monsieur. Now, be quiet, everybody. Here! I tell you I saw a carriage coming down the road. You're down, everybody. Quiet. I tell you you're wrong. Come on, let's eat breakfast before the Count gets back, or we won't eat at all. Quiet. But I think we ought to look again, Pierre. You know what the Count's charge orders are? No strangers allowed on the line. Well, what he doesn't know won't hurt him. Come on, let's eat. Those are two of the workers. They'll be returning to their homes. The graveyard's right through this hedge. Hmm. So many headstones. How can we find the one we're looking for? Here's luck, Alex. Here are some marked Deschamps. Yes, Philippe. 
Look. Here's the grave of Lily's father. Next to it is her husband's grave. And next to that is her brother's. It's empty, Clarissa. I know, but it's a custom here for every peasant to dig his own grave before death and carve his own tombstone. You know, what a pleasant little plan. Then, then the brother must still be alive somewhere. Yes. Doctor, now that you've found the graves, what do we do? Find something to count on. Now, I wonder where this flagstone path leads to, the, the one next to the husband's grave. Well, I've never noticed it before. Why, it goes to the old well over there. And the flagstone path to the well. How many flagstones? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, <coughs> nine, ten, eleven, twelve. That's it. Twelve flagstones to the well. Twelve. It must be hidden in the well somewhere. I don't follow you, Alex. Well, it's so simple. The girl and her family evidently found out something about your husband, Countess. They had no way of proving it because they couldn't go into court without the consent of, of, of your husband. I'm sorry, Doctor. It still doesn't make any sense. But of course it does. Your husband killed two men in trying to extract the information from them. They tortured the girl to death, drove her insane. And they never understood the code that she was giving me. My husband, my father, my brother, one, two, three, the twelve numbers, hush. I wonder what the hush was for. Hush? Well, that's the inscription written on this stone in the old well. Look, it's right here. Hush ye who enter here, for they are dead. Look, this one stone of the well. Now, let me see. Now, look, Philippe, it's loose. I can move it, I think. Yes, it moves. You fools, I'll have you all flogged for allowing strangers on my property. It's my husband. He discovered us. I think he's too late. Look, there's a, there's a roll of parchment here, a manuscript. Clarissa, what are you doing here? Shoot them if you have to, Philippe. But hold them off with your gun until I've read this manuscript. Stay back, my Clarissa. Stand where you are, both of you. Insolent. Stop that gun, you fool. I can have you hanged for this. Stand back. This is the I... title to the St. Evermond property in Normandy. In the year 1751, all said property reverts from the St. Evermond family to their cousins, the Deschamps family. And the debt of the Deschamps family is paid in full on February 1st, 1751, at exactly one o'clock in the afternoon. I... Did you hear that, Count St. Evermond? Yes, yes, I did. And you know what this means? That you will die on the gallows for a triple murder as soon as we can haul you and this documentary proof of ownership into court, which will be right now. <coughs> So, gentlemen of this court, this document, Dr. Manette's manuscript, is living proof in your hands. The only reason the Deschamps family could not bring that document in themselves was that it did not come due until 11 days ago, February 1st, 1751. Until that date, the Deschamps were sworn vassals of the St. Everman family, bonded peasants on their own lands, and Charles and his brother Robert were determined to wipe out the entire family. They succeeded in killing the father the husband, and even the girl. But the brother is still alive. Thank you, Monsieur Gentil. Charles and Robert Saint-Evremont, this court finds you guilty and sentences you to death. The property will revert to young Deschamps as soon as he can be located. Your Honor, you won't have to locate the young man. I... <coughs> I'm the young Deschamps, alias Philippe Gentil. From the time-worn pages of the past, we have heard again the story, Dr. Manette's Manuscript. Bellkeeper, 
Presenting Hop Harrigan, America's ace of the airwaves. CX-4 calling control tower. CX-4 calling control tower. Standing by. Control tower back to CX-4. Wind southeast, ceiling 1200. All clear. Okay, this is Hop Harrigan coming in. Fellows and girls, a week ago, young Eddie O'Brien came to this studio at Hop's request to tell you about the Junior Salvage Army and the drive for salvage that began on Monday of this week. Well, we received a letter from Eddie today in which he tells us of how the Junior Salvage Army drive is getting along. I'll read it to you. Dear Hop and Mr. Riggs and all the gang, I sure enjoyed being on your show last Friday. Mom says if you enjoy being a guest, you should always write to say thanks. So this is it. Thanks. Since I saw you last, I have become a sergeant in the Junior Salvage Army, and it's all on account of my grandma and Aunt Ellen are such great savers of old junk. I went through their attics and closets and cellars like a tornado and collected so much stuff that my pop had to load it in his car and drive me down to the schoolyard with it. Grandma and Aunt Ellen were so glad to have their attics and cellars cleaned that they gave me 25 cents each to buy war-saving stamps. Now I've got my eye on Uncle George's garage. He told me I could come over and look around on Saturday. Boy, there ought to be enough stuff lying around there to make me a lieutenant in the Junior Salvage Army because Uncle George saved all his old license plates and lots of old tires and tubes. I'll let you know how I make out. Very truly yours, Eddie O'Brien. Well, it certainly looks like Eddie's on his toes. And I hope all of you are working as hard as he is to collect all the metal and rubber salvage lying around useless in your homes and neighborhoods. Uncle Sam needs rubber and metals very much to make bullets and armaments and tank treads and lots of other things. Give your own homes a thorough going over from attic to cellar. Don't overlook a thing your family can do without. Keep your eyes open when passing vacant lots on your way to school. Don't miss a single place where salvage may be found. Turn in lots of scrap to slap the Jap and the Nazis, too, on the land, on the sea, and in the air. And now to our story. Risking almost certain death at the hands of a firing squad, Hop Harrigan, with all the courage and fearlessness of a true American, seems to have done the impossible. Disguised as an officer of the German elite guard, he made his way into the Nazi-controlled airport in Paris and stole a Messerschmitt 110, mounted with a new type aerial cannon. But no sooner had the stolen ship left the runway than the alarm went out. In a matter of minutes, squads of German fighter planes took to the sky with orders to shoot the Messerschmitt down at any cost. Searchlights swept the darkness. Anti-aircraft guns barked an angry rhythm. Desperately, Hop made radio contact with England, Begged for an RAF escort to lead him across the channel. Harrigan to K-37. The sky is black with Heinkels and Fogelwolf. I'm lost up here. Hold it. There's one on my tail. 
Harrigan to K-37. Those boys want to fight, and I'm going to oblige them. Dig in, Blighty. Harrigan to K-37. I got one. Boy, this cannon sure is a stuff. I blew him to bits. Standing by. landed that stolen Messerschmitt here. I, I was waiting on the runway to say hello and all that sort of thing. And I said, good job, Harrigan. You know, he just looked at me and said, uh, is my bed made? Uh, is my bed made? <laughs> well, fancy that. I guess the fellow didn't have much sleep in France. Uh, come in, come in. Harrigan and Tinker. At ease, gentlemen. All caught up on your sleep? Fourteen hours, Captain Kirby. He slept like he was in a coma. Oh, yes. What? What was that? Oh, tank means coma, sir. Oh, quite right. Tinker, you must take more care with your diction. Oh, quite, sir. You know, Harrigan, we've decided to recommend a furlough for you, and you've earned it, man. Oh, but, Colonel Maitland, I'm here to fly. To fly and fight. That's what I want to do. Well, that's very sporting of you, Hop, but after all... We don't need no furlough. Hop said so. I told you that's how he'd react, Kirby. Well, what new job can we give him? Well, how about that reconnaissance assignment? That's routine, restful. All right. Here, Harrigan. What do you know about aerial photography? Well, just a little, sir. Tank and I fooled around with it back home. Take a look at these pictures. What do you see? Let's see. Plain vibration sure makes it hard to get sharp pictures, doesn't it? Well, it looks like an island, sir. That's Sector 3, Hop. An island on the Britain to Russia convoy route. Used to be Norwegian before the Nazis moved in. And all planes photographing that area came in from the north. I see. At what altitude? 8,000 feet. Well, then I guess this island's about two miles long. Well, maybe a mile and a half. About a half mile wide. And there's a small village of, say, 40 houses on the east shore. Gee, looks real nice, all them houses. Uh, see any place for plane hangers, Hop? Plane hangers? I know, sir. 
Neither do we. It's a riddle, Hop, because somewhere in that area, the Nazis are basing planes. Stuka dive bombers, to be exact. Stukas. Also known as Yonkers 87Bs. Range with bomb load under 500 miles. Right, Inca. And those Stukas have been playing hob with our convoys. And that's why we are taking periodic pictures of the area. They must be based somewhere around Sector 3. And you want us to take some shots too, sir? That's your assignment. Come. Pilot Redfield reporting, sir. I have those new pictures of Sector 3. Good, good, good. We were just talking about it. Have a look at these, Hop. Taken yesterday. Same old island, I suppose. Well, yes, it is, sir, except that the pictures were taken from the south. Oh, no, old chap. I came in from the north, as usual. Why, that's impossible. Well, why, why, Harrigan? Let me see those pictures. Well, the group of houses, Colonel Maitland. The, the houses are on the west side of the island on these new pictures. What was that? Here, let me have a look at those. Ah, uh, he's right, Kirby. Those houses have moved. Hmm. Redfield, are you sure you came in from the north? Positive, sir. I made three runs over the island, all from the north. You can check my luck, sir. But hang it all, man. Forty houses don't pick up and walk across an island. It's fantastic. Here, uh, let's take a look at the map. Now, here's sector three. The red lines indicate where attacks on convoys took place. Yes, they're all in that area, sir. The devilish thing about this latest discovery is that the biggest convoy yet is sailing tomorrow or the day after for Russia. Yeah, and we can't send fighter protection. The map shows that prohibitive distance. Aircraft carriers all tied up, too. So we've got to crack the mystery of the moving houses before that convoy sails. Is that right, sir? That's right. But take no chances off. Oh, no, sir. When do we start? Immediately, Harrigan. That convoy must get through. Our Russian allies need this cargo desperately. Yes, sir. We'll take off at once. Remember, no chances, Hop. Just cruise around. Any sign of trouble and you head for home, right? Yes, sir. Good work, Redfield. You may have broken the mystery of these convoy raids. Now go on to your quarters and get some rest. Thank you, sir. Good luck, Harrigan. And Tinker. Thanks. I sure hope we do as good a job as you did, Redfield. Oh, boy, Hop. This time I'm with you. No more worrying like I had when you was in France. Come on. Good luck. Good hunting. We've been flying for hours, ain't we there yet? The island's dead ahead, Tank. But I've been experimenting, coming at it from different directions and checking the compass. I don't get this north-south stuff. An island's an island and houses is houses. So if the houses are where they are, they're where they were, ain't they? Whatever you just said, Tank, no. All I can say is that houses don't move, even in pictures. Hey, Hop, I can see them houses through the glasses, and they look deserted. Get a little closer. No, not yet, Tank. we got to cover all the angles. That convoy must be important. Captain Kirby looked plenty worried, you know. Yeah, and the colonel was kind of nervous, too. No, I can't dope it out, Tank. Last week, there were houses on the east and a thick forest on the west. Now the houses moved to the west and the forest moves to the east. Now, maybe I'm not... Yeah, sure sounded houses and trees moving around like they was, they was dancers or something. No, I think we'll drop to a thousand feet and look around, Tank. Full of Nazis, guys with guns, pop, pop, and then there ain't no more tank tinker. Captain Kirby said to investigate, not commit Tom Mix. What are you talking about, commit Tom Mix? Well, like them chaps is always doing. They commit Tom Mix. <laughs> you mean Harry Carey? All I know it was one of them Western actors, Harry <laughs> Carey, Tom Mix. <laughs> oh, what's so funny? I heard you make plenty of mistakes. <laughs> commit Tom Mix. <laughs> uh, oh, you're a card. <laughs> What's our altitude? 1,200. They're getting awful low, Hop. Huh? The house is still there, Harry Carey? I'll lay you off, will you? A joke's a joke. Ah, the house is still there. What'd you expect? Well, keep watching. 
through the glasses, Hop. They still there? Sure. Yeah, they're still there. Hey, hey, they ain't. Will you make up your mind? Are they or aren't they? Well, first they was there and then they wasn't. Oh, Hop, you look. I'm scared. Because if my eyes are seeing straight, it means I'm off my nut. There ain't no houses. Let me see. Hey, you're right, Tank. They've gone. They've disappeared. Oh, take me home. Where'd they go, Hop? I don't know, Tank. But I'm sure gonna find out. Hold on. I'm gonna land. Houses that come and go. Forests that walk across islands. Sector 3 on the Russian convoy route. Can Hop solve the mystery of the island with the moving houses? Don't miss the answer on next week's programs. Same time, same station. Tune in and fly with Hop Harrigan, America's ace of the airwaves. Yes, by all means, don't forget to tune in next week to learn how Hop solves the mystery of the disappearing houses. And don't forget to keep on digging up all the scrap metal and rubber you can find. Remember that you fellows and girls in the Junior Salvage Army have a very important job to do, an important contribution to make to the war effort. Remember that every old water or garbage pail, bed spring, tire, tube, doormat, in fact anything made of metal or rubber, can and will be used to make war materials for our fighting forces. For instance, one battered old water pail contains enough scrap steel to make three bayonets for our soldiers and Marines. One broken-down lawnmower provides enough scrap steel to make six three-inch shells for our fighting Navy. And one old copper tea kettle can be turned into 84 rounds of ammunition for an automatic rifle. And you know what our soldiers and sailors and Marines can do to the Japs and Nazis with that. So get in there and fight like real soldiers. Earn rank in the Junior Salvage Army. Get in the scrap by digging up scrap, all you can find, to help America win this war. CX-4 to control tower... CX-4 to Control Tower. Standing by. Control Tower to CX-4. All clear. Okay, this is Hop Harrigan taking off. See you next week. Same time, same station. Hop Harrigan is a copyrighted feature appearing in All-American Comics magazine. Hop Harrigan has come to you from New York. This is the Blue Network.